0: Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today. And you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast.
1: have an actual degree in biology to to no no
2: no not at all i've been to a bunch of different like week-long courses and stuff like that but i i grew up on a farm we had about 1500 head of cows when i was growing up just have a real world background in nutrition but i i work with different nutritionists about every two years we'll swap to a new guide you know go over everything we're doing and stuff like that but i mean the biggest thing we do is we make the products the best we can and then we try to find ways to cut corners to make it affordable, whether it's, you know, large volume buys of empty containers or, you know, freight, you know, freight discounts for shipping so much or you know, whatever. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. Whatever we do like that. And of course if something just costs too much, it just costs too much. We don't we don't sacrifice quality and it is what it is. And we do so much direct sale. I mean we've probably got we've probably got a thousand dealers now, but we do a huge direct sale business out of our location. Um, so stuff like that, you know, you kind of limit some of the shipping and things like that and makes it a little more affordable.
0: So before we get any further into this, uh,
3: yeah, cause I got questions fixing a roll show, sure, you know, yeah. but I'm going <coughs> to forget half of them. So. I want
0: to, I want to introduce everybody we got here. I'm your host, Will Krebs. i got Jordan with me tonight.
3: I'm here. Let's get it.
0: We've got Bill, also known as dad.
3: And I even got the shirt for it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we've
0: got Bruce Swearinger, Swearingen, mm-hmm. Swearingen from 4S Wildlife Solutions. So yep. that's, is that right? Wildlife solutions for forest, forest advanced wildlife, solutions. forest advanced.
2: Wildlife yeah. I mean, solutions. it's, it's advanced wildlife solutions. And, um, we're more known as forest wildlife now. And, and what that is is when we started, we were going to do all kinds of products. Like we try to fix things. So the word solution being in our name is because I try to find solutions to problems in the industry and fix them. Right. And we were going to, Get into all kind of different things that are not feed items, and the 4S stuff was going to be the line of feed items we do, and Advanced Wildlife Solutions was going to be the blanket of all other stuff. But we've grown so much in the nutrition world that we, we can't do anything else. We don't, you know, we just don't have time.
0: But. So, and this this week we're talking uh, deer herd health. You know, the products you guys sell uh, with deer season about to kick off in Georgia this weekend. Yep, and then yep. down Another here. In season in our zone and Florida starts next weekend and uh things it's about to get it's about that time of year again this is stuff you should have been doing all summer but it's never too late to start especially for the healthier herd um but uh so let's go ahead and get in that dad you said you had some more questions where'd you get started
2: oh um, I guess it was probably 14 years ago I won't name the product but I had a friend of mine bring a product by my other office that I was doing other things at on our farm and I got to looking at the ingredients and it was a mineral, deer mineral and I got to looking at the ingredients and asked him what he paid for it and you know I said man I think I can make a mineral twice as good as this for half the price of course he said well you should do it and I didn't waste any time I hired a, a nutritionist and and we did so our first product was the antiratic bag mineral and after that had lots of success you know we were hoping to you know just gain five or ten stores you know and thought we'd done something um, I just decided I bet all other products need some to help too so we stepped out and started taking product by product and kind of reinvented the wheel when it comes to quality of nutrition products um, and it just kind of went from there or, or did go from there I mean we we really removed the how does it sell? You know, I mean, we were, we were meeting with a big box store a while back. And again, I won't mention their name, but you know, we went into all the quality of things that we do. And the guy was like, well, we don't care how good a product is. We only care for sales. Man, that's pretty, pretty wild. You know, (laughs) Um, needless to say, we did not get in that store after, you know, we had a lengthy talk about that, but um, they're actually calling us back now. That's, two years ago probably, now they're calling us back, so look, y'all just won't go away. We, You know, we got to put you in. But, um, but anyway, um, that's that's kind of what we've done or, or, or more exactly what we've done. We just uh, really try to do the right thing. And it's funny, we've talked to so many customers that think that good ingredients are things that they see on a shelf, like, you know, food plot blends. I mean, we get guys all the time that, man, you know, y'all don't have any right. I'm like, no, you know, that is the junk of the, you know, wildlife <laughs> seed world, you know, and they're like, you know, man, you know, we thought it was great because we see it in packages all the time. I'm like, well, you see it in packages because it's cheap, you know, and yeah. It, yeah, it, exactly. it fills,
1: it fills space for everything else. That's it.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, when I first got going with seed, I would, I would look at labels on the shelf and I, I'd really get mad because I thought the manufacturer was really, you know, really screwing the, the buying public, which, uh, come out to find out I was, I was wrong I think what it is is it just can't be afforded, you know, by the time that goes through the chain of shipping and, and buy groups and reps and distributors and all that kind of stuff. So that it turned out, I think that's the reason that a lot of guys use cheap ingredients because, you know, the buying public just can't afford good stuff at, at retail sometimes. So we work to work to fix that. Um, and it, it is what it is. I mean, sometimes our products are, are cheaper even than, than junky stuff um, because of the way we work and, and our volume is so high now that we can make very little on a product, but we make very little a like, whole lot of time. So it, it makes it work, you know.
0: Yeah, I'd say you you walk into Walmart and pick up one of those bags of seed off the shelf and look at that, flip the bag around, and on the front of the bag it'll show this beautiful food plot with a monster buck just and the food plot's full of turnips and everything else, turn around and maybe <clears> two percent <throat> of that bag is turnips. And the rest oh, is high yeah. <laughs> <rye> grass <laughs> and
2: winter wheat, you know, stuff like
0: that. Oh yeah.
2: I- yeah, I mean, I'm so sick of hearing. You know, when we talk about food plot blends with customers, you know, and they're like, you know, man, you don't, you don't have a seven way blend and all this that other. I'm like, man, you can't plant clover and chicory in the same bag as oats, you know, and get the right depth. You know, no, we don't. You know, our, our small seed and our big seed is separated from each other, so you can plant perfectly. Now, if you want to mix it and you're broadcasting, fine, you know, mix it together. But you know, our guys are. I mean, we we're glad to have any customer. A guy that buys one bag or a guy that buys twenty four tons, but you know, we, we're trying to do it as right as we can do it. So if you want to mix it together, like small seed and big seed that need different plant depths, you know, do it, but we can't offer it that way. Cause we got guys, I mean, I've got one guy that plants 240 acres on this place and you know, all your small box, big box guys, they want seed separate cause you can't, you can't achieve perfection by putting stuff that needs to be a quarter inch deep and stuff that needs to be an inch deep in the same planting box on a drill. And plant at the same time, you just can't do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Not not if you're going to be perfect. Now there's ways to do it and, and, and make it okay, but and there's nothing wrong with it. But. Well, so I'm
1: sure it, it probably works better for the guy that's just going to go ahead and broadcast and drag it over, but for the the drill and everything, you got you got to have
2: the right seed depth for the certain plant.
1: Right, right. I mean, yeah, we've got a
2: we've got a drill company now that's trying to get us to like really you know, really be a big deal for them. Cause we got a lot of guys now that are starting to realize our reach in the industry and they're, they're coming to us to put our stamp of approval on it. But I mean, I've got a drill company that they don't have a small box on their drill. And, you know, they're telling me that you can put you know, clover and, you know, uh, black oats or tr- uh, triticale or whatever in the same box and, and plant right. And I'm like, look, I'm sorry. I know y'all make this drill and you know what you're doing, but that does not work. You know, that, that does not work. You, you still have got to cross this field twice or either do a bad job. Um, and, you know, you hate to tell somebody that to sell on a $20,000 grain drill, but it's just the truth.
3: Where does but, most of your product go statewide? You know, I mean, is it you Georgia know, or you,
2: well, you know you're reaching I mean, out now? Yeah, I mean, we're in 35 states. Um, now, that can be a, a little misleading. You know, 35 states is true, but one of those states might have one dealer. But um, – we're in 35 states but of course us being in Georgia and the southeast being more of a hub for um, big buck hunting so you know we're stronger in Georgia, Florida, Alabama Mississippi, you know Tennessee stuff like that but um, but we're shipping all over I mean we've, we've got a full blown you know we've actually got a shipping department now which is pretty neat you know um, so all over I mean we, you know the freight gets to be an issue with some of this stuff but Sometimes people just want it, like regardless of the freight. Like I had a guy, or still have a guy in Kansas that buys a couple of pallets a year of, of one of the products, and man, it's a product we sell out of the store for fifteen a bag or something. And you know, he's got over thirty dollars a bag, and by the time he pays that outrageous shipping, but he's got to have it. Jeez. And I try to talk him out of it. I mean, we—I've even got customers from way out in the Midwest that. They can't afford to freight. They don't say that. I say it for them, you know, which is kind of weird. I'm not trying to control you know, control their spending, but I'll, I'll give them to send me a tag of their local stuff, and I'll try to find them something that they can buy locally. I mean, it might not be as good, but, you know, how do you put a monetary value on certain ingredients or, or whatever? You know, I mean, you can't carry that so far.
3: How's your word getting out that far? Word of mouth um, or?
2: Yeah, I mean, we do some advertising, but, uh, you know, I was just on the phone with a buddy of mine. Greg Camp, you know, him and Riley Green have Halo Waterfowl and Greg does real tree road trips and we got some stuff going with them and you know we were kind of laughing that you know we're not a gun company or a boat company or whatever that's making three hundred dollars a sale, you know, we're making three dollars a sale. You know, so <laughs> you, you can't afford you can't afford to pay these big advertising spots. So a lot of our stuff's grassroots word of mouth and things like that, you know, building connections, you know, we've got a lot of Big buyers, a lot of celebrity guys that buy from us and things like that, and you know it, it helps a lot. You see one of those guys on stage with a hat on or hoodie or something, you know. So it it's just kind of the ball's just been rolling and it's just rolling faster and faster. I feel
1: like the uh, the quality of your product has sold itself over the word of mouth. That's what I was about yeah.
0: to say. Yeah. It, yeah. It's uh, word yeah, spreads be- fast when you're selling something like a, a good product.
2: Yeah. That's, that's been a big deal, and, that, and that's one of the challenges we have is education. So, regardless of the quality of the product, you know, if they're planting it wrong, you, you still get a bad rap. Like I can remember at our old warehouse, I'm sitting there at the, the front roll up, talking to a guy that's standing in front of me, and behind him is a gravel pad with red, you know, hard red clay under it that I put down myself. And they're telling me they can't get clover to grow. And I'm looking behind them and the clover growing in the, in the, in the rock, you know, where they, where somebody spilled it, you know, somebody spilled it on accident, you know, so education on plant depths or feeding or whatever you're doing, but the the education is something that we, we're trying to work harder on because you can supply the best products you want, but if the guys, you know, don't plant right or feed right or whatever, you know, you, you still end up in a mess, but. But it's nice to have the quality of products to be able to wake up every morning and know you're doing a good thing and stand behind it and not have to feel, you know, embarrassed or, or weird when you're selling somebody something that, you know, sucks. <laughs> um, you know, I can't, I just can't do it, you know, and like, um, we'll have, I don't know, we'll have a hundred people this year that'll come in or call and say, you know, they switched our food block lens and, they're better than they've ever been you know period i mean it it happens so much it's not even i mean we want to hear it but it's not even exciting anymore because it it should be you know we work hard at it you know (laughs) we we expect nothing you know but but the best um results but that kind of leads into the education so we've we've got to move more and more into that now you Uh, started out
3: with the protein right
2: uh mineral Mineral, first yeah
3: and then went to the pro like
1: what's the uh they have a winter blend and a regular, like, in-season blend as well. Yeah.
2: Yep, yep. yeah. And see, like, even the winter blend, like, I don't, I'm not knocking other feed companies by no means, but I don't know of many other deer protein companies that change the, the blend up or the ration up for the seasonal type of needs. So, our 20% plus pellet, I mean, that's got probiotics, prebiotics, dewormers, tick control, high bypass protein, chelated vitamins and minerals, but is so powerful that when the deer quit, you know, requiring that, you know, they tell you what they need. When they start shedding velvet, they'll stop eating it. Which sounds like a bad thing, but it's really a good thing because if they didn't, if they didn't stop eating and they ate something like that year round, you could probably convince me that it might not be that good. But the fact that they stopped eating it—that's
3: proof they need it. It's the same way yeah. with corn. When you feed with corn, yeah. I mean, there's right. certain times they just quit. I mean, you could put. all – I told a game ward one time. I said, "We got corn out." I said. And this was back when you couldn't hunt over corn. I said we right. got corn out. I said, but it doesn't do no good. I said, they're not eating it. I said they're not touching it. Yep. He yeah, didn't I mean, ask you're, me where it was, that. but
0: <laughs> <laughs> he already knew.
3: <laughs> yeah, he already knew.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like with a good pellet, and this doesn't happen all the time, but I've seen it happen more times than not. You can put corn with a good twenty percent pellet during the growth season, and a lot of times the deer will pick out the pellet and leave the corn. <laughs> Fast forward to dead winter. You put the corn with the pellet they'll pick out the corn and leave the pellet so for that reason that got me thinking you know we need to do a winter product so we remove some of the alfalfa meal and bean meal soybean meal from our 20 percent and add whole kernel corn back and we press it into the pellet so it forces them to eat their vitamins and minerals while they're eating the carb they're a lot cheaper better for this time of year and you know we've already started it we're probably 150 tons deep or something in winter stabilizer because we're seeing a bunch of shedding. But the collection of thoughts from a lot of our big guys, fences and free range, is when they started feeding winter stabilizer, they started growing bigger bucks. And you know, we all know you're not growing bucks in the winter, but the collection of thoughts is an antler being a secondary sex characteristic, that means that a buck will not allow nutrition to be put toward antler growth until the body recovery is satisfied but when they're eating winter stabilizer right they come out of the rut just looking like a beast so they put all that effort into antler growth and they just grow bigger racks. now i've never like read studies on that to prove it but it, it makes common sense and a lot of sure. this stuff is just common sense like you know, like herd health i mean we're seeing guys that you know i get a call once a week from some guy that's got some new ingredient that you know, guaranteed to do this, that, and the other, and whatever, but it really is just common sense, I and mean, it's just health. Um, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors with it, but it, it's not that hard.
0: You talk about herd health, and I, I find that I, I love that. I love hearing that because I hear a lot of people say uh, <clears throat> we practice QDMA, uh, QDMA, and uh, I'm like, well, I, I understand what you're telling me, or what you think you're telling me, but what I want to know is. To what to what level do you practice mm-hmm. QDMA for herd health? Do you are you do you, are you quality deer managing? Or are you saying you're quality deer managing? You're trophy deer managing? Because yep. if you're not feeding your does to make more, you know, to keep fawns healthy, uh, and you're you're trying to kill off all the does to have more food for the bucks, and you're trophy deer managing, you're not quality deer managing. Right? Uh, and uh, it's it's just a little pet peeve of mine. Although I don't, I rarely voice it, but I understand what people mean by that, but. For sake of argument, I want to I want to ask you, so obviously the best time to have started feeding your deer herd the right minerals and everything else was yesterday, uh, but for the sake of the question, we'll start this the day after hunting season. Uh, I say I wanted this for this next year. I want to start feeding to produce a healthier herd and mm-hmm. more quality deer. What am
2: I starting with? So I guess 20%. we're talking January. yeah,
0: Yep.
2: Soon as you see antlers shed, deer start growing back that pedicle. Right. So it's almost like a tree. You know, if you got a bad root system, you're not going to grow a big tree. Um. So January, or as soon as you see antlers drop, you know we've got some farms here that start dropping in December because they're overpopulated. They got a lot of stress on them. But about January, twenty percent plus pellets and mineral. Um. You know, not with the feed, but in a secondary site. Um. I like to have mineral away from the feed stations it's just another attraction point that i call it if you get a transient deer rolling through there maybe he'll find your mineral site and not find your feeder and decide he likes the place to stay and then find the feeder and then find your perennials or annuals or your water hold or whatever you got sanctuaries whatever but but yeah you'd start with that then and of course you know planting beans i mean we've got our own roundup ready bean now that we own um we released it this year and been testing it four years, we only did like probably fourteen hundred acres this year. It's been phenomenal. Um we got our test reports back in the past few weeks and it is through the roof. I mean the the RFQ, the, the relative forage quality on that was off the charts. So we're we're looking for big things, that'll be it. But um that's pretty much it, you know, for the summer.
0: I gotta before we go on from that, I got a question for you about your you said Roundup ready beans. We I've planted Roundup ready Soybean before when I hunted in Tennessee. Um, and we did not come through as we expected it to. Mm-hmm. And, well, they say it was round to pretty. And so what we killed it with is not. I said we should have burned the weeds that were there. Uh, but no, the other guys wanted to spray. So that's what we did. Uh, and then, but along the edges where we didn't spray, the weeds grew a lot better than throughout the center of the food plot where we did spray. Mm-hmm. What, what? I guess what makes the beans Roundup ready or, or what's the reason why? I mean, we went so far as to do the whole uh, electric fence, the tape and all that stuff to get everything set up mm-hmm. and then pull it down come deer season and so on and so forth. But it just, they were so, compared to any other food plot and actually some other places we planted beans uh, that we didn't spray with Roundup because we just had some beans left over, they came in 10 times better in the same soil 200 yards away. Than where they came in where we sprayed roundup what makes the beans roundup ready
2: well that's i mean that's the technology when a, when a bean is bred, i guess you would say uh, genetically it can take spraying roundup on it so i mean that, that comes down from the seed so i mean you you can spray glyphosate on on that bean as soon as it pops up or when it's three feet tall
1: so a Roundup-ready bean, because a, a Roundup is a post-emergent. <clears throat> so a Roundup-ready bean would be a bean that you can spray your plots after, to, to kill the weeds after your plots already emerged.
2: Right, which, you know, more grasses. You know, there's a big misconception with Roundup. You know, people think Roundup kills everything, but it's, it's more of a grass killer. So I mean, if you're going to have peak weed and coffee weed and stuff like that, you're probably going to have to go with some different chemicals. But the biggest killer of your, your bean crop is going to be grasses, you know, bahia grass, uh, crabgrass, whatever, uh, nut grass, whatever. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a big deal, man. That, that's been a game changer, and, and I've got a lot of people planting beans now because if you ever plant beans successfully and hunt them right, and you don't get busted on those first three or four or five hunts, I mean, it's incredible. You'll never not plant a bean again. Our odds are way better in the first week of the season than it is during a rut.
0: So I planted a food plot of uh soybeans when we hunted in tennessee and it it wasn't that great but one thing but it was at the same time i mean the biggest buck we ever had on trail camera was in that food plot um but the one thing we argued back and forth on and i don't think we could ever come to a clear answer whether it was necessary or not was the electric fence that was mm-hmm. the, the most expensive part of that thing Uh, food plot was putting up that dang electric fence around it, and the purpose of it is to keep the deer out of it while the beans sprout. Um, and then you take it down when they're ready to be, I guess, eaten and foraged on. Yeah, foraged on. The deer can get in there and eat on them. How necessary do you think putting that electric
2: fence up is?
0: Do you want to do another podcast?
2: This will take like three hours. (laughs) (laughs) I've got tons of information there. I'll I'll give you a brief rundown, and you just tell me to shut up when you're tired of hearing things. Um so one thing I tell people is I, I recommend planting beans without fencing them for the first time because if you fence them every time right out of the gate, you never know if you didn't have to fence them yeah you know what I mean sometimes people don't have to fence beans It's rare but I mean sometimes it happens so like you never you might fence beans for the next 20 years and, if you've never not fenced them, you don't ever know if you had to or not. Yeah. You know, so you can be wasting all that time and money, you know, and never had to, but anyway. Secondly, it's always kind of funny because you're trying to feed your deer, yet you're fencing the deer out of them, and a lot of guys fence them out of them until deer season. So, are you feeding your deer, or are you planting an attraction? Either way, I don't care, it's all great, but, you know, there's a difference there. You know, Are you feeding your deer, or are you planting something to hunt over? I like to do both. You know, I'll run my fence down the middle of a food plot and feed them on one side and hold the rest of them till later. But um, you know, when it comes to, to beans, I like dedicated summer plots. I mean, I, I did a I did a podcast a while back with the uh, GON about that, um, or, or mentioned it in that podcast about doing dedicated summer plots. So it, you have to double your plot acres. But a lot of what we're seeing happen, uh, seeing this happening, is guys plant their beans and. They go in there and kill it, pair it up, whatever, to plant fall crops. So you've got that three or four weeks in there where you don't have anything on the ground. So you've got all these deer that have been coming to your beans regularly, got a great pattern, and then you, you kill it off. Plant fall stuff. I like to have dedicated summer plots, put your lock on or whatever stand you got on your beans and then have your fall crop over here. You know, plant it mid-September, 1st of October. Your beans are still green. If you're using a, a good bean, just a, a late group bean or a uh, non determinant bean, whatever, and um, just just jump off of that plot and leave them beans standing all year. And if you've got giant plots, third that thing up. You know, have a perennial on one third, a bean on one third, and then, you know, come in there and put your fall stuff on a third. So, you know, that, that keeps food on the plate all the time. But um, I kind of got off on something there, but back to the fencing. Um, I mean, I think you have to fence them if you're going to have a good bean crop in most instances but you know we use a fence that i designed probably four years ago that's a, a millorganite bag fence thing we do um guys are getting tired of using the the depth perception fence um you know the the two strands out front one strand in the back um you know hot fence so the one that i design you take netted jewelry bags that you can buy on amazon for nothing and you put milorganite in them. And, you know, milorganite really doesn't stink until it gets good and wet. So if you're spreading it on the field, you're going to spend a crazy amount of money to keep deer off of it. But with this, you take little fiberglass posts or whatever you can get cheap, put them at every 30 or 40 foot. If you get the right ones, they'll come with some kind of clip. Then you put a string on it. Like uh, you can buy two miles of hay twine for like $30. <laughs> You put one strand at knee-high, and you take those bags and have metal organite in it, and you hang that bag every six to eight foot from that string. And as it rains, that bag gets nasty. You'll touch that stuff when you're putting it out, but after two or three months, I promise you, you won't touch it. This is some of the foulest <laughs> smelling stuff you've ever smelled in your life. But it absolutely works. Um, we've got a lot of our plantations doing it now. Um, it, it's just a, it's a good thing. It's cheap. I mean, you're looking at thirty dollars an acre or something i mean it doesn't it takes no time to do it there's nothing electrified you take all the stuff other than your post and throw it away um posts are far enough away that you just leave them up from now on and you can you can work your equipment between the post um it, it's just it's a good thing it, it works really good
3: so it's an invisible fence but well almost so it would still be invisible for me because i can't smell but <laughs> yeah. yeah we, uh, we, yeah. we
0: we, we chose the depth perception, uh, two in the front, right. one in the back, but over arguing back and forth over splitting the cost of buying all that electric fence. We decided to do two strands of hot wire in the front and then on the depth perception side, which, you know, because the, the, the way that works, the deer would then, because they don't have good depth perception would stick its neck out over the fence to try and judge depth to jump and they zap themselves and they, they run off. So we used yep. uh engineer's tape, which, Uh, if you're not familiar with what that is that's a that's an army term but it's like a it's the same width as that tape electric fence but it's not electrified and it's still white so we ran that along the inside to save a few dollars because at that time i could get that for free
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty cheap yeah (laughs) yeah
0: you just acquired it uh more went in there and said hey i need a roll of engineer's tape (laughs) and they said for what i said "I, i need a roll of engineer's tape and they said okay (laughs) i
1: didn't lie when it comes to uh to getting rid of uh foliage or an older food plot uh whether it be spray or burn it what kind of benefit does potash have for a food plot
2: well i mean when you're saying burn it i mean this is gonna sound like i'm being a smart mouth and i don't mean it that way but you're gonna have to spray it to burn it anyway so you know, to get it dead, you know. Yes, so sir, yeah,
1: because yeah, it's got to be dry and it's got to fuel yes. the
2: fire. So it'll ignite. And the second answer to that question is, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know potash is extremely important and high as fertilizer is now. You know, it's a big deal to burn. Um, but I, I really don't know, honestly, the difference in, um, you know, just turning that crop back into the soil versus burning. Um, I, I mean, if I had to say, just off using the information I've gathered over the years. So I would say that I would try to burn every two or three years versus just hairing that, that ground up and putting it back into the soil. But I, I don't, I don't really know. Um, you know, and it comes back to how much potash are you putting out or are you putting out artificially also? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I tend to see more people that are, that are big guys we deal with. Um, and, and on that point, you know, we know a lot, but, we learn a lot too. So, you know, we learn what Tom's doing, this, this working or not working and teach it to Jeff. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Absolutely. So, but a lot of guys we deal with, when I hear them talking about burning more, I don't ever, ever hear anybody saying that they're burn, burning to put potash back in the soil. I only hear them say it so they can clean the field up successfully. So to me, that answers the question better than me knowing what's the benefit in one way or the other is, oh, is that, yeah. And to me, that that'd be a good answer, you know. I I completely agree.
3: So you still got yeah, to I kill mean, I, it to burn it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, but, I, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'll tell you this. I, I've I used to custom plant for years before we got too busy and um, never once had a crop failure with anything I ever did. But um, I never I never burnt anything. Um, I would spray things and kill it and turn it back into the soil, but I, I, I never, I never burned anything. And, and we weren't putting out a crazy amount of fertilizer either. I mean, you know, most of the guys we were, we were managing their land for, I mean, they were not being super tight with a pocketbook, but I mean, nobody wanted to put 600 pounds of triple 13 out, you know, it was always, you know, 300, you know, 350 pounds of triple 13 or whatever. So, um, and, and never had bad crops or anything. I wouldn't I wouldn't focus a lot on trying to light a match just to get potash. But but I do think it's a thing, you know? Absolutely.
0: i I mean, well, it's it's a totally different ballgame here in Florida. We we live in a, a fire ecology state. There's a lot of forage that deer natural to hear rely on that relies on fire itself. So but that's more of a not so much of having potash as much as it is making the plant seed Yeah, say germination. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, germination—not only that, but it's like when they do excuse, prescribed burns. Now it's not yeah controlled burns; it's it's so th- just to prevent forest fires, right?
0: Well, yeah. it's to prevent uncontrolled forest yeah. fires. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, I guess it it really depends on your area. If you if you live in that type of area and you need, but it is it is good to burn that stuff. regard It depends, on sometimes too. Again, what you're managing for because you know, there's some species like. Uh, Quail that really require burning, yeah, to to thrive, uh, because they they can they they only exist in in certain types of grass and uh, shorter grass and stuff like that. So, I don't know, it's that we could again do a whole nother podcast on that, I'm sure. (laughs) right (laughs) versus here to talk about it, but
2: yeah, there's a lot about a lot of that stuff. And on your uh, one thing I forgot to say, but real quick, on your uh, on your hot fence, Um, you know, deer get used to everything. And that's a lot of the reason that a lot of our plantation guys are are going with my little fence system deal that I did. And it's not that they think it's that much better. It's just the deer have gotten used to their hot fence, their depth perception hot fence. So they're needing to try something for another four or five years and then they'll go back to their hot fence. But once they start going through it, take some tinfoil and wrap it up on that fence and put peanut butter on it. And like you said, when that deer's putting his neck on it, they'll lick that peanut butter, will pop that mouth, and it'll it'll slow them down. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's genius.
0: <laughs> that's mean. I say the one the one thing about a hot another thing about a hot fence too is is you can, if you're careful, reuse the majority of it.
2: You can yeah, all our up guys up and reuse it. Yeah, all our guys they do that. I mean, now my fence you throw away, but it's too cheap to try to salvage anything. But yeah, the hot, hot
0: fence – it sounds like right you want out. to,
2: but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of our guys are using reels and there's even one of our biggest customers has some kind of drill that he's some kind of thing he bought. I don't I don't think he made it, but maybe he did, but it he puts a power drill on a battery drill on his reel or something and rolls all his fence up. But I mean <laughs> this guy's planting – he plants 140 acre food plots a year, so he's gotta he's gotta got get pretty innovative to Yeah do
1: all that. So I never I never really thought about like we we got into fencing there, but then when you said that you fence off half of it, because if you're keeping your deer from eating it, then you're keeping that nutrition off those deer. Mm-hmm. That's just something I never. Well,
3: you're changing their habit too. I mean, it's yeah. it's not a whole lot different than if you if you're you know you got a farmer that's got peanuts planted around you, and the deer come to them peanuts. Farmer picks the peanuts, tills the ground up. You've just changed that deer's travel and its habits because exactly. they're gonna go somewhere else. So it makes sense if you would plant, leave half your food plot with those beans that you planted over the summer, replant the other or do it in thirds, however you want to do it. You've still got the deer are going to still be coming to it. If you go disking it all up, it's gone. They're going to move somewhere else and look for something else.
2: Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're creatures of habit. I mean, that's yeah. what I was saying. I mean, if they're very habitual in it. And as long as you don't screw them up, they're probably not going to change until they're, Nutrition um, requirements change, or you know, if you're in extreme colder climates, maybe they need a place to to get more cover, whatever. But I mean, where where I'm at and where y'all are at, they're not going to change other than the um, nutritional requirements, unless they're pressured. So I mean, that's what I was saying, just like you just said. And if you leave those beans up, I mean, they're going to keep on coming until you screw them up. I mean, that's just all there is to it. I mean, it's I don't. I've never seen this study, but a lot of wildlife biologists have told me this. Well, I say a lot. It's probably been two or three. But if you take a map of the U.S. and line out with a subline the highest concentration of Boone and Crockett bucks, and you take a map of the U.S. and line out the highest concentration of soybeans, the lines almost match.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That is the power plant.
0: Yeah, and, and you know what? That, because I, I I lived in the Tennessee Kentucky area for five years, and mm-hmm. you know we actually went back up there last year, and I told these guys, I was like the deer there are just bigger." I mm-hmm. I shot does that dressed out at 140 pounds, Feel yeah. dressed, and uh, we went up there and uh, Bill shot a unicorn buck with no tail. <laughs> Yeah, on, on the last last uh, was his name lucky <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> mine was <laughs> he was a, he was the only one to get a deer uh it, it was just the weather uh the weather Changed got great us, yeah. the weather got great right after we left uh for deer hunting but uh we had originally yes, story <laughs> yeah we'd well, we originally planned to go in the beginning of november and then they shipped because we were gonna hunt fort campbell i was stationed at fort campbell for five years uh, and then they shut the base down to hunting for the entire month of November. So that got shifted to, uh, the right after Thanksgiving we went the first week in December. Uh, and normally, I mean, I, I've seen it anywhere from, you know, it normally it's right around the highs in the low forties, high thirties. Uh, when we were there, I think the warmest it got was like 68 degrees. I mean, it was, it was pretty dang warm I and mean, the coldest it got was maybe 34 for a little bit in the morning. Um, but it didn't stay cold. So it had the deer. The deer it was like hunting kind of in muscle. Southwest Georgia. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty yeah, much. yeah. Um, and then right after we left, it dropped down to what fourteen. Yeah, it, it was, was like ten cold.
1: degrees that night.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the night that because my
1: dad's truck had broke down. Yeah, that was an eleven thousand dollar unicorn deer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His uh, his what well, your fuel pump had went out. Yeah,
3: the fuel pump went out on my truck the night we got there. We were twenty miles from the cabin, <laughs> my fuel pump went out on. On the uh, it's not, not even twenty miles from the
0: cabin. No. Yeah. We're at the, the literally the exit we had to get. We were twenty minutes maybe from from the yeah. cabin.
1: Yeah. Oh, what ruined his whole entire fuel system? So me and him ended up having to stay an extra week. And the night after they left, it dropped to like ten degrees. Yeah. We had to go to Lowe's and buy a, a space heater.
0: <laughs> the deer were everywhere. They were. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but he managed to kill a kill a, um, I, I, a spike. It had one horn on it, and uh, it's on public land. On yeah, up there in Tennessee, we ended up hunting some public land in Tennessee instead of the base because that was just too difficult. Um, mm. But you commented at that time, you're like, "That's the that's the biggest spike I've ever seen." Yeah, it was huge. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was, a, it was dang near two hundred but... pound spike. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was
3: first spike? I mean, that's first spike ever killed.
0: Yeah. Hey, he was just a a hoss for what he was, but the deer there, I, the, the deer I killed. I mean, I, I shot a 13 point, uh, that dressed out at, at 236 pounds. Man. When I, when I, I was hunting up them. there and I, I, I mean, I could, t- I knew he was that heavy. I drug him with the guts in him for two and a half miles. <laughs> yeah. And me and two other guys, I could tell you that that deer was every bit of 250, 260 pounds. It was ridiculous. Uh, but the deer there were just absolutely huge. But everywhere around there, they planted soybean, sorghum, and corn.
2: Mm-hmm. That was it. That's yeah, ever saw it yeah, that's all planted. And tobacco. That's what we're that. trying to revert. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're trying to get Georgia, you know, reverse some. I mean, you, you know, we've got all these woods. And I guess it's the same in Florida, but you've got all these places for deer to hide. If we can get the new, you know, the nutrition in check, I don't. I, I know genetics plays a right part sure. you know like I had a I had a doctor that was very successful that I talked to that retired very young I don't remember how old but it was going to be his quest to kill a mature buck in every state in the country and he wasn't going by inches I mean he was you know I don't remember his exact stats but I mean if he was in Florida you know he was trying to kill a five year old deer, but it didn't matter if it was 110 inches or 140 inches. Right. You know, Georgia, same thing, you know, on up on up, whatever. But he's about halfway through his quest and by far Georgia was the hardest state that he had to try to kill a mature deer. And we've just got so much wood, you know, and we're trying to get the nutrition in place because it's it's kinda of weird. You go up in these other states, they don't have any woods. Yeah, they've got these giant bucks, you know, and they don't have anywhere to live, but they got plenty to eat. So, you know, we're trying to educate people on, you know, let's get let's get the food here. Um, you know, let's feed them because, like with pellets, you know, not counting food plots, food plots or mineral or anything like that, but with pellets, I have never seen a guy ever that was feeding right that ever quit. That just went, ah, this ain't working. Now, that wouldn't be that impressive if we were doing twenty tons a week, but the fact that we sell you know, 150 tons a day, sometimes that that's an impressive thing to say. Um, so I've never seen that, and I've seen guys halfway do it. I've seen guys fill up feeders and don't fill them up for two weeks, and whatever. I've seen those guys do it. Um, but uh, nutrition is just such a, a big thing. I mean, they're, they're an animal, I mean, they got to eat, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, that's all there is to it.
0: So we talked earlier, we started after the day after hunt season ended, and we're feeding. Uh, for antler growth at that point. Uh, now l- let's talk about what we're going to get into. They've they they, they they've shed velvet and we're going into hunting season. Uh, obviously the antlers aren't going to grow anymore once they're hard horn. Uh, what are, what are you feeding then and, and why are you feeding that specifically?
2: The winter stabilizer pellet that we have. And, and I mentioned it earlier, you know, we, we decided there was a need for a winter pellet. So, you know, it's a lower protein, lower cost, higher in carbs. It keeps the vitamin, and mineral up in that skeletal system. You know, when they're growing antler, come January, February, March, they're robbing that vitamin and mineral from the skeletal system to go toward antler growth. So, in the winter time, deer are not going to eat a, a vitamin and mineral site if it's a good if it's a good vitamin and mineral. Now, if you're using a product that's you know 96 percent salt. They might tamper with it, but a good mineral, like we have really good minerals, like our mineral blocks only 30% salt. It's actually a real vitamin mineral block. They're pretty much not going to eat that in the winter because they don't require it. But what happens is they go into the amber growth and the pedicle growth season come January, February, March, whatever. They don't have an ample supply in their system. So the winter stabilizer keeps that vitamin and mineral level up so they can grow maximum antlers. So winter stabilizer, I mean, that's the answer. Um, we've got the roasted racks product. It's a roasted bean corn mix that, you know, if a guy's a spinner feeder, it's great for that. And I love roasted racks. It is super attractive. It's great in the summertime for guys that are only going to feed corn that just don't have a way to feed pellets. But I don't, I like it, but it's a 16% protein. You know, it's not doing them a whole lot more good than a corn during the, you know, during the winter.
0: So, I would say that spinner feeders are probably the most popular thing out there. Uh, oh, yeah. But what would you say is the best way to feed deer? I say, if I had to rank them, I would almost say that it would go spinner feeder. I don't know. Spinner feeder and just dumping it on the dirt, probably about neck and neck. And then a trough feeder or a gravity feeder, probably about the
2: same. So, when you say feed them, you mean what is the best way to get feed? in them um, period or do you mean what's the best way for application as far as people being busy and I can't get the feeders on time or, or whatever? Like, how, how do you mean like, like if you had the best choice in the world, what would you choose? Is that?
0: Yeah, I don't deal with that. In, like I said, in the perfect scenario, I would guess. Cause I, I see the the nice thing about a spinner feeder, and even now, I mean, shoot, you can connect them to your phone. That sucker'll tell you when it's low, mm-hmm. um, and you know I need to go fill my feeders up. Whereas if you you know you're putting in a trough feeder, uh, you show up and you're like, damn, I wonder how long that has been empty. Um, yeah. But uh, what is uh, the best way to get deer feed, regardless of your your work schedule,
2: delivered into the into the body? Right. Um, I mean, obviously feeding on the ground, I mean, they're a wild animal. That's more natural to them than anything you can do. But who can do that? You know, you would have to feed every day.
0: It spoils, too. I mean, you you dump the corn on the ground and it rains. Yeah, I
2: mean, you got – and a pellet's way worse than that. I mean, a pellet is not a friend of moisture. You you can't – you would have to feed every day. So that that makes you go up the ladder, you know, one one step. So that would be a trial. I love trough feeders. They're the best way to feed a deer. If they're built right, the deer can see, you know, what they're eating. A deer sees 280 degrees. So when they're eating from like a port-style feeder, you know, the round ports, the feed's under their chin. So they turn their head sideways to eat. The eyes are on the side of their head, obviously. So they got one eye on the sky and one eye on the ground. They just don't eat as much. So a trough, they can eat. They can see you. They can see predators, whatever. So a trough is the best way um we're a huge distributor of all seasons feeders i mean we get about a semi load they're not a pork style they are gravity feeder and they've kind of made a fool out of me because when people buy them you know i tell people it's going to take a minute to get them trained up but man i've had people that put all seasons feeders out on virgin ground and have deer eating out of them in three days which blows my mind but um so there's there's all different ways but i mean answer is the trough is the, the best way but i mean you're you're going to have Squirrels, coons, potential for hogs. If you don't have your root right, you got potential for rain. So that, that starts to make you step up to a gravity feeder. But there I'll are some gravity. The, that we're good.
0: The, the only thing uh, I've ever seen, you, you said squirrels, hogs, potential for rain. A spinner feeder will stop the rain. Other than that, I've I've seen coons up there spinning the thing. I've seen squirrels <laughs> getting into it. I've had hogs knock it over and split the barrel wide open trying mm-hmm. to get to whatever's inside of it uh I'm, I'm convinced you can't stop the thieves from being thieves when it comes to putting feed out in the in mother nature mm-hmm. you can't stop thieves period so. yeah,
2: <laughs> that's right and, and spinners i mean there's not other than something like roasted racks there's not a product out there that you can put through a spinner that's going to grow deer i mean corn is seven and a half percent protein no vitamins and minerals that's not going to do anything i mean it's just the empty carbohydrates so it is handy in the wintertime. I mean, when they need those carbohydrates, but in energy, but a spinner, you can't grow a deer with a spinner. I mean, I, we've got probably a very small, small, small amount of guys that put our pellets through a spinner, but you, you're just not. You can't you don't control want to put the moisture. pellets on
3: the ground, though, D.
2: Correct. You can't control the moisture on the ground. I mean, there's no way to do that successfully. It's just a waste. We talk people out of buying pellets if they're going in the spinner. Now roasted racks in the summer, I would much rather see a guy feeding racks through spinners. I mean, it's twice the protein of corn, the bypass protein in a, in a roasted bean is through the roof. You know, it's really great for antler growth. Um, that's something you can do. And that whole kernel of bean is not quite as susceptible to moisture, you know, um, that's something that'll work, but other than that, there's not a lot
1: you can do with better. I think so, even something since roasted racks is like a bean. That's, I mean, it's got corn in it too, but it's probably something that you'd be better off to try and feed here here in Florida too with with our bears. Oh, bears! Because yeah. a, a bean will upset a bear's stomach.
0: I don't know, man. Really? They it, say it, I mean, you. say it will. I think they've I become know. tolerant to it now. It's like I think bears and soybeans are like lactose intolerant people. I mean, it upsets their stomach, but they still eat it. Right. Yeah. They, it might, ice cream upsets their stomach, but they still eat ice cream. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think they eat it as regularly uh, as they would corn, but they'll still get in there and, and tear up soybeans. Cause it's not uncommon in Florida for guys to put soybeans in a spinner feeder or dump yeah. soybeans on the ground because the deer will eat the bean. Uh, but the, the bears don't eat it as readily.
2: I've never even heard that. That's that's interesting information because we've we've got some bears not here, but probably forty miles from here we've got bears and I have never even heard that. That's that's pretty neat. Yeah, that's that's a,
1: a big thing, especially around here with the O'Cala. Well, oh, you're not you're not supposed to feed there, so not the Ocala National Forest, but uh with, practice, <laughs> with uh well you can't feed into forest, but you can I mean, feed on yeah, private with private I, land yeah. a lot of guys do feed strictly soybeans.
0: Because the bears just yeah. don't
1: won't eat them like they will corn, yeah.
0: soybeans, pretty cool. Yeah, we'll get into that later. Uh, <laughs> salt blocks. Well, I had
3: a guy tell me one time I was buying salt blocks and just the mineral block like what you buy for cows, horses. He says, "Oh, right. you shouldn't, you shouldn't feed that deer to make them sterile."
0: And I thought, I've heard, yeah, I've heard it'll make a doe abort.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. I've never, I've never heard that. I mean, you know, the mineral block that you buy at a feed store that, I don't know what they call it now, but they used to be when I was seven. growing.
3: It used to be, I think, around. Yep. Yeah, exactly.
2: Not, probably about 20. So they, yeah. <laughs> they call it a mineral block and it's brown. But if you look at it close and look at the label, that's actually 98.5% salt. Yeah. So you got a salt block and a mineral block in the feed store. The salt block's white so-called mineral block brown, but it's actually only 1.5% difference in the mineral block versus the salt block. That yeah. brown color comes from some kind of rust solvent or something something say, like that.
0: I will say, what are that 1.5%? is just a red dye. Person.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is something like that. I mean, I, I don't even know if rust solvent's a word, but I mean, I had some nutritionists or something tell me that one time that that's what made that color. But regardless, the label, you know, it's, it's, it's 98.5% salt. But, you know, we've got a mineral block that, It's 30% salt, meaning it's 70% vitamin and mineral. And I really got mad when I made that block because we used to have about 1,500 head or registered cows when I was young. And I ran a farm and I always wanted a mineral block. We always had granular mineral, but I always wanted a mineral block and never could find one that had any quality. And probably about five or six years ago, I decided that I would take it upon myself and my time to see why, there, there's not one because there's not one on the market period or wasn't one so i went after it and now we have a block that is incredible it's an mineral block the deer smash it people love it i mean it, it's it's a great block um turns out I, I think it was greed that made it where people didn't make a mineral block they cost a little more to make but i mean we do well with it you know it it, it fits a uh fits a purpose that, that people need and does well. It's just another so,
1: supplement feed. So do you have any cattle farmers that buy your mineral block now?
2: No, um, I don't. But most cow guys are feeding like with free choice um, tubs. And you know those yeah. you know those tubs you see with a little rubber flapper? Yes, yeah, Come yeah, up. Yeah. yeah. So most guys are doing a, a granular mineral like that. And um, the actual cost of making a block is expensive. It, it just is. I mean, it costs a lot to compress a block. So they can buy a granular mineral and buy the feeders for them cheaper than they can buy a block. So that that's probably the reason. It's not a quality reason because that block is through the roof and quality, but it, it will cost more. And it's not because we're making a ton of money off of it. It's just the fact that making a block and cost money. So and, not- and it's not doing that cow any service. I mean, putting a block out versus the pre choice feeders, not doing that cow any good the difference is with a deer you can't put a free choice feeder out there and expect them to pick up some rubber thing you know and eat yeah, from it so yeah, you have to do the block you know but i mean we've got a bag of mineral too. this granular that you dig a hole and put it in and you know if, if you're deficient in mineral if you're deer deficient i mean they'll dig a hole from here to china oh yeah know, get so
0: it. your your mineral block does that have any whole pieces of grain or corn in it or is that all just mineral? is because that's that's one of those, that's one of those little gray areas where you run into. I know when I hunted in Tennessee, that because you can't bait in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the the big and J blocks, they have visible pieces of corn and whatever else in there. And if you put those out, that's considered hunting over bait because it has that whole piece in it.
2: That's not a mineral block. That's a protein block.
0: Well, regardless, it, it, they sell it, it. I think it's sold the same at Walmart as, as any other mineral block. But still, that that. That stuff right there consists of, I guess, hunting over bait is what the game warden considers it. There, yeah, it's
3: got. I mean, we've got corn and all kind of crap in it that you can. Visit yeah, we've
2: got a protein right? block. Yeah. We've got a protein block that's very similar to the Big um, and Jay block. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, it, it is a um, commodities-packed protein block, just like just like Big and Jay's block, but so, the would mineral that be block. Your,
1: your antler attic,
2: or no? That's the protein one. Okay. Yeah, it's a true true feed, you know, slash protein block with vitamin and mineral, but the antlerotic mineral block is only vitamins and minerals. But there's a lot of gray areas with what's legal and what's not. Like, for example, our our corn spike is a product we released two years ago that's a flavor additive, and it has absolutely no nutritional profile. So is it bait? You know, to me, it's just like throwing a tire on the ground. It's not, it has no nutritional value. So is it bait or not? You know, we're still waiting for the results on that.
3: Is it just a scent, a a different smell that it puts?
2: Yeah, I mean, kind of. I mean, it's a granular additive for corn. It gives your corn an identity, but it has no nutritional profile, meaning there's no protein, fat, and fiber. So if it doesn't have that, that means it's not a food source. So isn't it just like throwing your hat on the ground deer come to it they were coming anyway. I, It'd I be know, like it, like
0: yeah. putting dopey on your boot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: I mean, we got people to use it as a cover scene Now we've got guys that'll do TV shows that'll use corn spike with their food when you can legally bait and not hunt over it, and then they'll put it on their clothes and they become the bait pile, and they're not breaking the law. Which a lot of guys do video and hunt, you know, for whatever reason, it's kind of blackballs to shoot a deer with their nose in a bait pile. So. You know they'll they'll put this on their clothes and it, it still attracts the deer and you're not bait pile hunting.
0: I think that's kind of changing a little bit, especially the YouTube spectrum. But
2: that's a whole nother
0: story for a yeah. different day. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I love you, you take that mineral block and you you talk about the the deer will dig a hole to China, and you go and find that that stump in the middle of the woods. You set that <laughs> mineral block on top of it, and they will. The mineral block goes away through a rain or deer or whatever and they will come back and eat the daggum stump out of the ground trying to get that mineral that's sucked into that stump out of there
3: not only that it's a good place to shoot dove off of because it, I guarantee if you walk up to one in the middle of summer it's loaded with yeah. dove yeah. now that that is bait
2: yeah. <laughs> you know I've got i uh, I've got a spot I, I've screwed up since then but I had a spot behind my house that's a clay bank that I put A bag of our mineral in, and I went for I think it was four summers. If it wasn't, it was three summers that I never added a bag, and the deer were still digging at that spot. Now, granted, I don't think they were getting anything because surely they had eaten all the mineral up, but if you put that in a clay based spot where it sticks. I mean, it, it does you some good for a long time. Don't know if it does a deer any good after a year or two, but I mean, it, from an attraction standpoint in the summer, you know, it, it's another piece of that puzzle that makes your place an attraction place.
3: We had one on our last lease that, that where I dumped a bag and, and it was I never added nothing to it, but the hole kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I'd disc by it and I'd look at it and I'm
2: like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. You, you put it in the sand, you know, it doesn't work as good because it doesn't hold moisture. Like, our mineral is a real mineral, so Dicalcium phosphate's really bitter, so you know we try to get people to put it into clay or, yeah. or sometimes guys will build a basin like, um, you know, like a poly trash bag or whatever, or either they'll they'll take like a fifteen gallon bucket and bore some holes in it, like some wheat holes, and they'll they'll put mineral in that and put the sand back in. The deer lick it clean, but yeah. you really need that moisture to dilute down a real mineral. Like I had a guy, I had a guy a while back and. In Tennessee he was around Nashville and he wanted um, 400 of our mineral blocks
3: and
2: I said this is an individual buyer I said look man I'm not trying to you know be rude or whatever but we we can't have guys you know we can't have guys selling our product out of their garage and stuff you know we've got you know dealers and you know we have to you know do the right thing and I said how many acres do you have he said I got 800 acres I said what what are you gonna do with 400 blocks and he said, well, that's how much, and I'm not going to say the name, um, so-and-so mineral that I feed. I'm like, hold on, hold on. What you're feeding is over 90% mineral. Our block is 30% mineral. You're not going to need that because of the the equation here. Ours yeah. are worth more, you know, a lot more than that. I, I talked to him off the cliff. And he, he, he took 100 instead of 400, saved him thousands of dollars, which he still <laughs> got too many, but I, I couldn't go with so far with him. Um." Anyway, you see that with a lot of people. They don't realize, like, the values of things. Right. Uh, um, There's a lot we're working on that with education. And sometimes it blows people's people's minds, and sometimes they totally understand, you know, what's going on.
0: Mineral's one of those things that keeps deer around. I've seen coming all summer long, even when they're not hitting anything else, they're hitting that dang mineral all through the summer, putting that near water, and then they just tear that up. Yeah, The the only thing I found, the only tree stump I found better that that worked out better for me than any mineral block tree stump I found was we hunted in Tennessee. Because you could put corn out in Tennessee, you just can't hunt over it. We had a stump that was hollow in the top and it had hollow spots in the bottom so you could dump 100 pounds of corn in it and it would feed out like a gravity feeder. We just put a piece of, plywood Aye, in the of it. Good.
3: They make that's those good. feeders now. I know. That's where <laughs> we,
0: we saw that and I said, I bet that'll work just like that. And they <laughs> pawed it out all around there so you dump by the time we were done you could fit about 150 pounds of corn in it because you dump the first 50 pound bag and just pour out on the ground around it. But
2: uh, so, It's funny where some of this it's funny where some of this feeding has went or, or baiting like when I was a kid growing up you know like baiting a deer was a thing that was always taboo because it was illegal, but you know, you still had guys doing it. But as we grew and started hunting natural food sources and, uh, travel corridors, pinch points, whatever you got to be a better hunter. And I don't mean better hunter in the sense of, uh, morality or whatever. You have got to killing more deer, you know, uh, hunting stuff like that instead of bait. But now that baiting is legal, you know, the, the doors have been opened up to all kind of new, ideas and thoughts um like we're we're doing a lot of stuff with uh, that a buddy of mine taught me about you know hand feeding these deer daily if you can even if you've got hog it's a great thing because it creates this competition and i mean i killed two giant bucks last year with my bow on some marginal land and and that's why he he taught me that practice and it's been incredible you know hand feeding half five gallon bucket every day or something there's actually uh
1: a company this year that just dropped a feeder that's a night fall feeder. So it it's a gravity feeder, but at night it closes. So they yeah, can't, they can't eat from it. Tecticon actually just dropped it, but oh, that's oh. pretty cool. Yeah. Now yeah, I've seen I've seen some of those things. They, there was
2: a there was a feeder like that a long time ago that the guy had made that worked off of a, a photo sale. Yeah. We use but
0: I we use corn in Tennessee to create. I, I I'm going to say artificial travel corridors uh, Mm. or to subsidize where the deer were already moving through there to create a heavier travel. And we hunted around, you know, we found where the deer were moving through from one point to another. And then we'd place feed in the middle between two tree stands. And that was all deer from left to right past tree stands. And there was no way you could see you're talking corn. That's 300 yards from either tree stand. Uh, You're not going to see it. uh, It's, even when it's dead of winter and all the leaves are off the trees, you couldn't see it. Um yeah. but that brought deer certain times of day through where we were sitting. Right. And we used the corn that way. Yeah, yeah, I mean
2: people don't people don't seem to think like that. I mean that's obviously an innovative way to think about using a bait source legally.
0: Well but I will tell you this.
2: People don't think about this stuff. Something they I pour learned. their stuff
0: something i learned hunting on fort campbell which is a fairly heavily pressured uh place and it they have a lot of agriculture there and it's heavily pressured for good reasons there's some monster bucks up there on the base public land itself you see a lot of guys go out and they want to sit right on the edge of that soybean field and i said are the deer there yeah i see them there every time when i drive back to the check station in the dark that's when they're in the soybean fields in the dark." I went to that same soybean field where five guys are sitting on the edge across, you know, 900 yards of soybean field. And I went in 700 yards into the woods and I set my climber up. And I'm Mm -hmm. killing the deer. They're hunting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm.
2: I told a guy that a story like that this week. We were talking about hunting tactics and learning things, and I'm not ever scared or ashamed to tell somebody I don't know. I mean, that's that's one thing our, our bigger customers, like, brag on us about us. is If we don't have the answer, we'll get it for you. Right. But I had a place I grew up hunting on our farm. We called it the Ugly Field because you couldn't plant it or spray it because it had so many juts and, you know, trees and points and whatever. But sitting there in a back when I gun hunted only and wasn't a bow hunter forever ago, but you're sitting in a, a tripod. You know, I never shot a big deer out of that stand. I don't think I ever saw a big deer out of that stand. But when I started bow hunting exclusively, I got right off of that field, just like you're talking about in a, in a hard, where hardwood pine mixed bottom there there was all my big deer you know i put put two in the book you know put two in the book right there they were there the whole time you know i just i just didn't know um same same thing like you said i mean everybody's under this mindset of doing the same thing like everybody else is doing but think a little different
0: you're in that staging area is what they would call it they're coming out they're going to come out there and feed in the field but under pressure they're, they're not going to come out there and feed in the field in daylight. They're going to wait till dark. When mm-hmm. they come, they advance towards that field during the day and wait at a certain yep. distance from it. Inside, they forage acorns and other things on the ground before yeah. they go out in the soybeans. And you can shoot them, like I said, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Here I am whacking a dough and heading to the check station with it.
2: They oh, and they're so at peace, too, because, yeah. like you said, you had guys lined up on that bean line. They're already smelling them, guys. So, you know, when you're down there with them, they're already smelling people, so you're really not spooking them out that much, you know. You're you're not having as much of an impact as you would have if you were there, you know, in a in a virgin territory, you know. Right. Makes it much easier. So on
1: the on the subject of feeding, we've kind of talked somewhat about feeders. What is your opinion about people essentially setting uh, bait feeders? Right. So they're they're setting a feeder that they're just hunting over. They're not setting a feeder. You know, they they may say, like William said, they're doing QDMA. They're trying to feed their deer. But every single one of their feeders have a stand over top of them.
2: Are you talking about a protein feeder or like a spinner? Like a trough. I'm absolutely against it. These deer need to have that safe place that they can eat protein and grow. Um, I have people all the time that come in here and want to buy a feeder to hunt over and, and i try to talk them out of it um to me it's just a waste you've got to have those sanctuary feed plot or feed spot areas with feeders to, so they can feel safe and grow um i just i don't agree with it not from a morality standpoint at all i want everybody to do what they want to do but if guys come in here and they want a feeder to hunt over i try to get them to not buy our pellets and stuff and just feed corn, maybe use corn spike racks, whatever, but you're just, you're screwing yourself up. I mean, you're, you're not going to have a successful feed site right there. Um, that, that's really all there is to it. Now we have this little lock on feeder. It's like a 300 pound locks to the tree feeder. I put those last year around my, a lot of my lock ons, but it's such a portable feeder. Like if you've got a giant coming to one of those feeders, you know, kill them and move it. But yeah. my main feed stations that have been established for years, I mean, you won't see us standing around them. I want those deer to eat and grow, and I do not want to be spooking them by hunting.
1: I got a small feeder like that that I actually built out of <laughs> when I was it's when I was down, yeah, when I was working downspout. when I was working construction. Uh, I had found a commercial downspout, and then I uh, just welded up a small spout for the bottom of it, and welded up a top for it, and I had it way down at a bottom, and I just screwed it to a tree, and deer would come to that thing i mean ever since i put it there, i only hunted it every so often and i had a lock on on it but it was guaranteed that any time i set that stand i was going to see deer at it because it was just one of those places it was comfortable that was, for that them was to the eat.
3: only place that we really got pictures of deer in the daytime yeah they so, come in there and feed just because and it wasn't 60 yards from camp yeah but they you'd see uh, we'd get deer on camera that's the only place we really got them consistently in the daytime.
0: You know, something just occurred to me. Uh, jordan talking about his stand down there you know he sets stands about as sketchy as slim tim <laughs> yeah. used to right? hey. <laughs> there were deer at <laughs> my stands, though <laughs> aren't there because that tree was probably about four times the size of this th- this bar <laughs> holding this microphone right here and had a lock-on on it he's like yeah hey, you can it was hunt like it. 40 foot up yeah and he's like yeah you can hunt it i walked down there i said boy i said your <laughs> your steps for one your your tree's tiny for two your steps in 20 feet below your tree below your lock-on he's like he just climb the limbs like no man. Man, I'll, I'll hunt somewhere else. I'm too big. You've got for him that. by hundred
3: yeah. pounds, though. There, yeah, these
1: these two are the kind that'll will go and set some easier stands. I'm the one that's going to carry one like way back in the swamp and find a little tiny opening in that swamp and set up a stand wagon hunt right there and watch that opening in the swamp. I, I say
0: you haven't hunted some some stands that I've set. I, I set some I set some good stands, but they're also going to be safe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That that tree was look. Isn't that the same one that the the it broke on you when you were taking it down? Something broke. No, 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 no. It broke on you when you tried to climb it. Yeah. There was something sketchy that happened when you were taking it down. It busted, cut your hand or busted. Oh your, no,
1: it, it cut my hand because the strap was grown on the tree. Okay, I had to break the chain. It was a yeah, millennium lock on. I had to <laughs> break the chain because it had been there for so long.
3: <laughs> we, Bruce, I've been hunting. I've been hunting southwest and south central Georgia's for. Thirty years, and these two have been. I think William was probably the youngest going in the woods with me, and then Jordan. There was times that we'd we'd sit three to a tree stand, or my buddy would take one and I'd take the other. So these two have been in the woods since they was probably four and five years old. So I, I've been at about twenty-seven yeah. years. So. Yeah.
2: <laughs> now are y'all brothers? Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, yeah it, it, me the whole and room William. Look, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. cool. It's a
0: whole family affair in here tonight. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah,
3: <laughs> he got to teach guys in the army how to hunt, and uh, grew up, grew up learning how to hunt. Yeah, so yeah. we've hunted from Blakely to Cuthbert to Quitman to over near Douglas, and then yeah, we have got a
2: lot of customers that buy buy the semi load down in all that Quitman Thomasville area. Yeah. Uh, we're we're actually sending. I've got a camera guy that works for us full time. Um, I believe I'm, I met him
1: at the show as well.
2: Probably Mark. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. He was he, he was Lee and Tiffany's head camera guy for like seven years. He got tired of being on the roads. So he come up here with us. But I'm sending him down there with Greg Camp with Real Tree Road Trips. Uh, Sunday. He's kind of pissed with me because he's got a big deer. He's got a good win for his place. <laughs> Sunday. But he's, he's gonna go film. Uh, Greg kill a big down there in, in Blakely. Um,
3: Blakely's a good area. We were right behind. We had a, we, uh, it. Colomoki Mounds. Yeah, right behind the Colomoki Mound State Park. And uh, I don't know that area.
2: We've got customers down there, but I don't. I don't know the area. It's but, great,
3: big Indian mound.
2: I can
0: tell you, anybody who hunts in Blakely knows where our oh, place. Yeah. If, if you stood at the entrance of Colomoki Mounds and looked across, that was our on the backside of that field. That was our property yeah. back there. Did y'all time.
2: play anything? Did y'all, did y'all find a lot of artifacts
0: and stuff. Oh, dude, we found arrowheads.
3: Arrowheads,
1: like no tomorrow. But now you, you, uh, couldn't,
3: you couldn't go on them. You couldn't dig stuff up on the on the, in the park. But uh, right. right, Yeah, we we've got. I've got some pretty good arrowheads on my fireplace. Not a oh. lot, but but a few. I love
2: that stuff. I, I I started making my own arrows. and on. I started flinting that a few years ago. I'm. I don't have time now to do it. But I got. I got nuts about that stuff. I finally killed eight point with a homemade deal, but it was, it wasn't as glorious as it sounds. He was in my yard and he, he was blind. He was blind and bleeding out of his back end. So You something, finished something him off, it, it sounds like to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was fun to, to use it and put one out of his misery, but, uh, but I'm, a, I'm a nut about those artifacts. We had one, one
3: guy hit a, he hit a gold mine in one spot and they were all shredded. They were all, the arrowheads he found, they were all shredded um in the same way so it was whoever made them must have sat there and, and just made that same that same arrowhead
2: um, well i mean the studying i used to do you know there, there was master nappers in the villages back then like the spots we've been to where you find a lot of pieces of flint and all in, in one spot one pile whatever you know they from what i understand anyway and i used to study this stuff like really hard
0: you know they were
2: kind of like us i mean if you're good at cooking you're a cook and you trade with a guy that makes clothes because he's good at making clothes. And, you know, everybody thinks that they all made their own stuff, but from what we've studied, that's not true. Like you had a guy that that was really good. Yeah. You had a guy that was good at making arrowheads or spear point, whatever. So guys that were good hunters traded with him, you know, to make, to make hunting points, you know? Yep.
0: Is that that? So I gotta know. Of all the years since it passed, since then, is that that buck you saw when you only had a video camera when you were bucked out? Is that still the biggest one you've seen?
1: Yep. When you only had a video camera, I didn't hear about that.
0: Yep. This is many there. years ago when we hunted in yeah. Blakely, you you were you were tagged out on bucks, if I remember correctly. I wasn't there. I just yeah. That was back when
3: uh, when Georgia allowed you two bucks and three does, and we were pretty strict on our
0: two bucks was it? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that would have been the biggest one. That was back when the video camera took a full uh, <laughs> VCR tape. <laughs> yeah, like 30 it wasn't pounds. that long and it wasn't that big.
2: 30 pounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> this ain't no 8-millimeter
1: film now. It's yeah. <laughs> so when he had to go back to uh, back and use his bag phone to call somebody.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> we didn't even have the bag phone. We went to the Kolomoki Mound State Park to use the phone. The payphone. Yeah, the payphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, but how, that is a good area down there. The, tell tell me the story of that deer. I, we we've never told that just briefly, real quick. I
3: was sitting in a in a ground blind that we had a ground blind made that was made out of actually made out of tarps, and it was in a patch a spot of planted pines. I could see the cars going in and out of the state park where I was hunting. Across the agriculture through the pines and across the agriculture, I could see him going in and out. And I was already bucked out, and I was looking. We'd seen coyotes or something over there, and I'm in. I'm sitting in that stand, and I look up, and the biggest, widest rack I've ever seen, just comes strolling through, and there wasn't a dang thing I could do about it. And I was like,
0: <sighs> couldn't even get the video camera. I couldn't up even to get, get it the on video film. camera to get it on film. Uh, it was you uh, know most
3: of them go that quick because you you never hear a deer. you always look this way and look back and look at and there it is and it you know you've got 50 yards that you've been viewing and it's just there they deer, deer don't walk yeah. up they appear
2: so i agree yeah. yeah it's like they come from the air sometimes oh yeah <laughs> there
3: ain't
0: no doubt so bruce yeah, I, they they
2: got some they got some super quiet helicopters they use yeah <laughs>
0: So Bruce, I know you working a lot with 4s and getting all that shipped out, so everybody else can kill deer. But I imagine you've got some pretty good, uh, pretty good deer stories. So uh, why don't yeah. you uh, tell Tell us your uh, your favorite one.
2: Oh, favorite. Uh, my favorite is a miss. Um, well, I've got a couple of favorites. I'll I, I make it quick.
0: No, you, listen. You take as long as you want to. This is a a long form, so you you do. We're only an hour and a half in, and it's not even an hour and a half of content. i got to cut a bunch of stuff out,
2: so you go ahead. I got – yeah, I mean, one of my favorites is – I've got twin daughters that are now 21 years old, but um, they were tiny, you know, when they were born, uh, four and a half pounds, and so they they hadn't weighed anything for a long time, but I had them shooting scoped twenty twos, making headshots um, when they were little. And – one of my daughters is type one diabetic and we didn't know it. And her eyes were starting to go and she couldn't see. And she hadn't told us cause she didn't know any better. So we're sitting in the, in the stand and she shot at a deer, you know, 30 yards headshot missed. It's probably been a clean 60 seconds went by. She was like, daddy, when's it going to go away? That's the baby that deer's in another county by now. That, that deer's gone. She said, no, I mean this shaking feeling. When's they going to go away? <laughs> we,
4: don't, we don't want that to go anywhere.
2: <laughs> but, uh, fast forward, I guess, to my favorite was my first poking young. It was 147 or 8-inch deer. And my whole family was out of town. I mean, I was, I was married with kids. My family was out of town and um, shot, shot this deer. Worst day possible. It was like you know, mid-November on a Saturday when everybody was hunting from out of town, in town, whatever. I heard not one gunshot. This deer walks out I'd never seen, shot him, and I've never heard a deer holler like a person, but he hollered like a person. It, it was almost weird when I shot him, but he bolted, and it was so, so important to me. I was scared to go look for him in, in, until the next day, so I called a buddy of mine and, you know, we're sitting around the house watching TV. He's like, let's go look. Let's go look. Let's go look on the note. We're waiting for tomorrow. Well, he couldn't look tomorrow. And that's why he was pushing me that night because he had to work the next day. So he couldn't look. And I went back the next day and found that deer. And I was so excited that, you know, I had to high-five the pine tree. And I literally did that, you know. So um, that, that's pretty cool moments, But we, we killed a lot of, or, you know, I've killed a lot of big deer right in here. But that, that was probably the only cool stories I've had. Well, I did, I did have another good one. I guess two years ago, I had two 150s on the farm, and, and our farm kind of sucks. We've got a lot of land, but it's all fields, so it's really hard to kill a good deer here. But I had two solid 150s on the farm, and I kept telling my girls, hey, these deer are going to be easy to kill because the way our farm is, it's pretty easy to kill them. It's just the way it's set up. I mean, it's it's you don't have to be a very skilled hunter to kill a good deer on this farm. And it's not because we got so many. It's just the way it's set up. And and that's not intentional. Also, it's just the way it is. But I kept on them, and, and they always had something to do with their buddies or whatever. So
3: I, I went out those years.
2: You, <laughs> yeah, within twenty four <laughs> hours. Uh, within twenty four hours, I killed both of them. And, uh, you know, of course that that also wasn't intentional. I mean, it was a lot of luck involved. It, it was pretty funny. I taught them a lesson for sure. Now when I say let's go kill a big, and they they get in the truck, you know. Hey, you you, you. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. We uh. <laughs> Now, hang on yeah. hang on now. You
0: you get you on know, you, you say that you, all the stuff to do with your buddies and all that. But the one of the biggest bucks I ever killed was a one week in the hunted day year. All yeah. right? And that was a hundred and ten percent luck. My fault. Yeah. Jordan's fault. Yeah. Hundred and ten percent luck. I got a couple.
1: I'm gonna start with when you say like you know, he was like, Let's go kill a big buck and uh, they wouldn't come as I had been. How long had we been in Georgia? I feel like we'd we had gone up for one of those weeks where we were going to hunt for a week or something. We'd been up there for a while, and we had been hunting one stand, and my dad's buddy had been hunting this other one. And my dad said, "Let's go hunt this stand that Al's been hunting." I, said, okay.
0: I had been hunting for about four days prior to that. Yeah, yeah. So I we go tell you how hunting. many times I've heard this story?
1: Yeah, it deserves being heard. <laughs> uh so we go and hunt it and we get in the stand and he's like stapling screen up and stuff it's a box blind and uh we sit down and i said dad there's a deer trail right here to the left let let me get down and cut this limb right here because if a deer steps out of that trail i'm not going to be able to see it and he said no no, no it'll be all right if it's going to come out right there it's going to come all the way out i said okay so we sit for a while and what do you know this nice buck comes out he's he's a real nine point point. is a nine point real nice real nice nine point
3: i can show you picture yeah and
1: uh he uh (laughs) he steps out and does not come all the way out of the field stays right behind that limb gets spooked goes back in and we grunted and rattled a little bit and then right at sunset he comes back out the same trail it was darker than that steps dead in the middle of the food plot and i got my scope on him and i'm getting i'm just trying to get rid of my shakes and getting ready to center up and pull the trigger. And I hear him say, it's too dark. Boom! <laughs> he shoots it. <laughs> and I'm like, you son of a guy. like, I was seconds away from pulling that trigger and you just shot that deer off from under me.
3: <laughs> I, I didn't want to ruin him. It would have ruined him for life. You know, if you, a kid that young shoots a deer that big, besides that, his brother would have been squalling. I just couldn't. I,
0: I would have. <laughs> yeah. You had to <laughs> take one for the
3: team. You had
1: to take one for the
3: team, didn't you?
1: <laughs> Listen, It I, wasn't fair to me. I had a nice. I've still yet to shoot
0: a wall hanger. I, I mean, I've I, got wall hangers, but a, a fireplace over the fireplace deer. I'm glad yeah. Bill shot that deer because <laughs> I I would have walked home <laughs> from from Southwest Georgia that point. Yeah, I, yeah. that'd have been end of story. I I, I was done. Um, but uh, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna tell you a story of. My success, Jordan's failure, and then a story since he's all on his 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 uh, successful horse. I'll give you a story of Bill's failure and somebody else's success out of the same stand. He shot that eight point out of yeah. Uh, well, same same, food, same, same food food plot. plot difference, stand. So the first we start off with that that buck. The one year I hunted, I shot a nice nine point. Uh, I hunted once that year for that weekend, and I came up there and Brooksville, Georgia. I had kind of I had been waiting the last few years. I wanted to kill a big buck. And, uh, I was sitting in a quad pod towards the front of our lease and watching deer and this little five point steps out and he's got his antler laid literally almost back over his neck. And I watched him for a minute and I said, you know what? I'm going to shoot that deer. So I put the 270 right on his neck, squeeze the trigger. Boom. He dropped like a rock. Like, yeah, man, I ain't got a blood trail that one. And He's kicking. I said, they ain't supposed to do that. And you shoot him in the neck, racked another shell in there. And he stood up and I said, ah, shit. And I shot again and he went off in the woods. And I'm just thinking I'd done wounded this deer bad twice. And I'm just all downtrodden. I get down, walk over there where he was standing. The first shot, all I find is meat and hair. I'm like, oh, this is bad. Walk into where I shot the second time, find a little bit of guts. I'm like, okay, well, we need to let him lay. By the time I turn around to walk back to my quad pod, I hear Jordan down in the next bottom over. Oh, whoa!" And he calls me. <laughs> I just shot the biggest buck I've ever seen in my life. I, 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 just On walkie-talkies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the old Garmin GPS, I had a walkie-talkie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so uh, my dad gets down. He says, I'm going to go help Jordan find his deer. And then I'll come help you find yours since you said it's time to yeah. <laughs> yeah I said, okay, well, if you're going to get out, he's sitting at the back of these planted pines. If you're going to get down, I'm going to come to the back of the planted pines and sit where you were sitting. So when you guys come in to, you know, look for that buck I shot, if you bump it and it tries to cross the property line, uh, I can shoot it again. He said, okay. Mm. So I get back there and I'm standing in the tree stand, just watching left, right, left, right, left, right. And I look to my right. And I looked back to my left, I said, damn, that's a big ass deer. Wham and shot again. <laughs> and he calls me. And uh, we had phones because you called me.
3: Uh-uh. Yeah, you we definitely definitely had a phone. Well,
0: because I, I was I, I was didn't. graduated high school. Okay. Yeah. I didn't have a phone. Uh and uh, he says, uh, did is it the same deer? You shoot the same deer? I said, No, I shot a different one. He said, Well, I'm gonna come look for that one because I heard that bullet hit. And sure enough real nice 9 point.
3: Now we'd found your other deer by
0: then. Oh, had you? Yeah. 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 We found the other. Cuz we had figured out that uh I had shot a tree. Oh yeah, cuz you went there. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um but I will it, that'll give it to me that where I had shot when I saw the buck, he couldn't even see me standing jumping in my climber with an orange vest on. No.
0: I, I shot don't, I don't know how he seen the deer. I shot the biggest buck Jordan's ever seen in his life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And he hangs <laughs> at that point, he at that point. over my fireplace now. We
3: go, so we <laughs> yeah, go tracking. We pull the one, and we go trailing the other one. We find the other one, and Jordan says, "That's deer I shot at, Dad." <laughs> I had I had
1: picked out my own spot down in a bottom, uh, and I just sat. Yeah, it was a creek that was running between, you know, to the and right down to the middle of a bottom. And I had set my climber perfectly, and I'd seen that deer because all I had seen was. He was foraging, and when he had looked up, I saw the sun hit his horns. That's all I could see, and I said, holy shit. <laughs> and he started to go up one side of the bottom, and I tried to pick the best place to shoot him. and Evidently, that wasn't the best place. Uh,
0: the now, tree wasn't the best place? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, you talk about uh, my dad was sitting in a quad pod over the same food plot, that uh jordan had shot that or they saw that eight point out that my dad or nine point my dad shot and uh he had just come back from colorado and he had what he called his colorado courage and in the next food plot over across the uh bottom well i shot an elk
3: at 400 yards and a mule deer at 325 so i was feeling pretty good
0: and this is probably what 300 yards across that to it the next food plot bit yeah up. something Ever like bit that up. and uh that buck stepped out, and you said you could see the horns without binoculars. Yeah. And he leveled off and shot and uh, didn't find it.
3: We found a little spur of bone and uh, and a little bit of blood. And then we we looked and looked and looked for hours and didn't find nothing else. Go home that we Come back the next weekend. It's next weekend or two weekends later.
0: It was Thanksgiving now.
3: My buddy gets in that stand. I go on down another stand. I hear him shoot. The world hears him shoot because he shot 300 wind mag. And, and I said, what'd you shoot? He says, ah, big eight point. So he was on one ridge and I went down the other side where he shot. And I find the deer laying there. And one of the legs was all stiffed out. And you could see where it had been hit in the leg. And I said, son of a gun. <laughs> said, it's that's a 10 a, point. That's a deer
1: I shot. <laughs>
0: Oh man.
1: Shows how resilient that white tailed deer are though. Oh man.
0: Oh yeah. Strong animal for sure.
3: What other animal can you shoot almost through the heart or that with a gun and run and it run for two, three, four hundred yards? Yeah.
0: Uh, I, th- this buck right here, I cut the top of his heart off with a with a broad Literally. It was hanging when I gutted him, it fell out when I cut him open. And he still went seventy five yards. Where I shot him, man. But they're they are extremely tough. Yeah,
3: definitely. So, what's your next venture? Um,
2: we're fixing to. We're we're bumping our advertising a lot. I mean i I think it. I think ad space is going to get pretty cheap. Um, right now with the world, you know, the world we're living in. So we're fixing to bump that up. I mean, we're starting the game big box exposure and things like that. Um, I've got some products in the works. I, I just got a new guy on board that's doing some um, R&D for us um, on things. That I just, I, I've got the ideas. I just don't have the time. Um, so we're, we're working on a lot of new products. Um, I think y'all are going to see a lot of us in the next two years. we got some big things we're working on
0: i oh, are looking forward uh, to it.
2: I'm looking forward to it.
3: Yeah. Sure. I, we started, we and that's how we found I started, was hunting the last three years in Irwinville. And, uh, we I seen, uh I 22 times to Irwinville
2: today Yeah. Yeah.
3: And, uh, we lost our, we, we actually, the, the property we had, a friend of mine had bought it. And, uh, when he bought it, he said, you know, what are you, what are you leasing now? And I told him and he says, he said, you want to hunt this property? And I said, Sure. And it had it was an old pig farm, and it had a, a building that was twenty five by hundred, and it all it was was a roof, and it was bad, and so we closed in one portion of it, and that was our lease we uh, to him was because whatever we put in it we weren't going to get out of it, so but it would if he ever sold it he would get it out of it, so we did that and we started feeding and we had some. It's a pretty good deer. He was feeding the forest, and so I started feeding 4s. And unfortunately, he's uh, not in the best condition. He's got terminal cancer, so he's but he had to sell that property, and as well as the other property he had, uh, still has, but he's also sold it. So, um, but he sold that, and he says, "Don't worry about it. Come hunt with me." And the cancer's not getting any better; it's actually getting worse. So he's already put his other property up and sold has it on the market. It's I think they're going to sign a contract on it this month, twenty first. So we've we've lost our lease in Georgia, <laughs> our property in Georgia. So does he? Does he live here? Does he live in Georgia? He, he had a house there. He had a house there, but he lives here in Date City. He's he's been up to your place and talked to you before. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. Um,
3: he had one hundred and seventy-one acres in Irwinville.
1: And um, I don't no, know how he much he had more than that because he had two hundred fifty at his house.
3: No, it was one hundred seventy-one.
1: Was it? Yeah, Had had one hundred seventy-one there, and then the property that we hunted on 140, was one hundred forty. Yeah. fifteen acres, plus fifteen.
3: Uh, yeah, it, he's probably one of one of Irwinville's bigger customers. I would say for what he what he was buying because he had fifteen fifteen feeders on that one hundred seventy-one acres, and he was regularly regularly
2: keeping them full. We've AMG. got a dealer down there. I don't. I don't know where we haul to down there, but I've got a guy that they've got twenty two tons down there in Irwinville, but it goes through that RW Griffin store down there. RW. Um. I don't, I don't know who the customer is. I don't. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I don't go. But um, we've got you know we've got some guys down there, but I, I hate that's happened to him. I'm sure I'd recognize him if, if I've seen him before. I don't. I can't remember names, but I don't. I don't yeah. get a face. Yeah,
3: he came up, bought a feeder, and he was looking at some other stuff, um, but. Uh... But yeah, he's he's sold that property's in the process of being sold. So we're uh,
1: strictly public land hunters. Looking somewhere, I'm looking somewhere. I'm yeah. just not
3: looking heavy. I'm a little tired of of the whole leasing and. But I, yeah. for what he wanted, what he sold it for, there wasn't a way I was affording it. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh man, land's bringing it right now oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, even the smaller portions parcels are are. Or what's really bringing the the bigger money, but you know it's obviously yeah. smaller land. But you can't, I, I can't touch it. I can't touch it down here.
2: Um, down here is oh, worse. Oh yeah. Oh That's yeah. Good. I mean it's crazy. We yeah. I know what you mean. We've got a lot of people. I know more people from Florida than I do here that are that are customers, and it it blows my mind to see what that land's bringing down there. Yeah.
1: It's insane.
0: You talking people paying ten thousand dollars a year for a lease per person in Florida? Mm-hmm. In Florida, yeah.
2: So, I got invited on one here at Callaway Gardens. It was I think it was ten thousand dollars a year for one buck at the Callaway Garden track. It was like eight thousand like Michael Waddell took my spot. Um geez. I turned it down. I'm like, I'm not paying ten grand to kill one deer. I don't have time to hunt here. Yeah. You know, I <laughs> place for free. <laughs> yeah. You
0: know? Well, y'all ready to get into the tip of the week? I know Bruce, we didn't warn you, but we do a tip of the week every week.
1: Yeah, I forgot to warn you about that, Bruce. Sorry.
2: I'm good.
0: Uh who I, I got mine. I don't have Anybody? one. All right. So I'm, I'm going to go. We, hey, we.
2: how long does the tip take?
0: I'm out of whiskey. Hey, <laughs> you go ahead. You go ahead. and We'll, we'll wait. Grab your whiskey. I got to pee. So let, let's take a break real quick. Once <laughs> <we're gonna laughs> the week. So I'll start off tip of the week. I'll give you mine. And this all, if you're using a hand spreader, like the one you throw over your shoulder with the little soft sack on the top and you've got the crank handle and you're spreading, planting the food plot. I lost a handle to mine one day, and I could not find it for the life of me. And uh, I started digging around the house, and I found a couple of nuts that fit that thread. Well, the first thought I had was, yeah, I'm just going to slap a daggum socket wrench on there and get to spinning it and just use that. And then I did that for a minute. I was like, wait a minute went and grabbed the same uh, socket, put it on the end of a power drill, and just went to town with that sucker walking (laughs) up and down the food plot. I thought that's where you were going. I've
2: never thought about that, but that's great.
0: (laughs) It works amazing. He's
3: going to market one now is what's going to happen and make a bunch Uh, of money on it. (laughs) You know (laughs) (laughs)
2: what? I'll get with you when this is over. We'll we'll, we'll sign something when this is over. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is
3: a pretty damn good idea, though, to market that. Yeah, yeah how the I just, hell did we yeah, never thought yeah. about that?
0: I don't know, man. All I did was back two nuts together so they wouldn't tighten yeah. any further, and then slip the daggum uh, socket socket over it and just me put well, it on now screw. You can get a
3: battery operated ratchet. You just use that battery operated ratchet. You don't mm. have to hold it up. Hold I
0: don't know, just, know that that would work as long though. You probably get that, not. The battery's not that yeah, big. Yeah, that eighteen twenty four <laughs> volt. You can plant three or four food plots on that heck, sucker, yeah. you know.
2: Yeah, that's cool, man. You know, we don't. With our products, we don't manipulate things to try to sell something that's common sense. But that idea right there, you could probably simply take spreaders and remove the handle and put jam nuts on it. Yeah, and probably market the thing as something and do. Well. <laughs> you know,
4: oh,
0: cool. when
3: you see it, you know when you see it work Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's all right. I'm gonna edit all this out, patent it tomorrow. <laughs>
2: hey, you, know, you know, honestly, I would, I would probably. I would probably. I don't know how many times you've told people that, but I've never heard it, and I hear everything. So I'd, I'd probably take that out and work on. It, honestly,
0: that that was simply born out of uh, necessity because I had to plant food to plots. Electric, electric ingenuity. On <laughs> yeah, <that. laughs> I, I had to plant food plots and lost my dang handle to spin that that little. Uh, spreader if he didn't get any
2: that's like anything really cool, from man.
0: besides good looks he got his redneck ingenuity from mm-hmm. i got mine right
3: here that's I'm right holding it. I'm holding it <laughs> that's really
2: cool man I mean, yeah. that's really cool because i mean when you're doing that i mean you get your all or more oh, God. Out. Yeah. It, you think it's the you think it's the toting of the products and the walking back to the buggy or whatever but it, it's really the yeah. it's really well, the cranking that, well
0: then you. you know we got real uh inventive after that and we went from doing it from walking and just sitting on the back of a mule holding it yeah. Holding a drill, driving up down the food block. <laughs> what do you got, Jordan? I'm going to send mine out here real quick. There's a lot of
1: guys right now, especially if you're doing it on a budget, right? We're sitting here drinking some whiskey. A lot of whiskey has a cork top to it. <laughs> and there's some guys that rather than wearing a face mask, you like to get into face paint. Well, face paint makes your face sweat, and it just your face gets thick. It's uncomfortable. I, I hate the feeling of face paint. If you'll take a cork, out of your whiskey bottle or your wine bottle. if It's real wood.
3: Or go to your local Mexican restaurant where yeah. they have a and big
1: bowl of Patron of, things. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, take your cork, light it on fire, and then let it burn some, blow the fire out. You can rub the ash on your face, and it's real light on your face. You don't sweat through it. You won't rub it off as well. Oh, it,
0: it washes off a lot easier. So it rubs off pretty easy. You can rub it off pretty easy. But that being it said- It does i am i am less likely to rub the cork ash off my face because you're not sweating as much yeah because yeah. it doesn't yeah. bother me near as much as, as face pain does yeah it doesn't it doesn't itch
2: i've actually done right. that one i didn't know yours with the damn drill but i've done the cork <laughs> thing and i love it it, it doesn't itch i, I do a turkey and sometimes
0: that yeah. we do that we duck do hunting. Hunting. Yeah, yeah all the time what do you got
3: there's probably a lot of dads out there fathers that hunt with their bringing their kids up hunting um gee I hate to break it and get serious but um hunting with kids tip of the week make them comfortable
4: yeah Uh, I agree If
3: if you don't make your kid comfortable uh, my grandson I got my grandson to hunt with now William can hunt with him for 30 minutes I can hunt with him for about three or four hours just because I think I make him more comfortable and I'm a little more tolerable but of, of him but you uh i let him get in the tree stand take his shoes off number one it's a whole lot quieter
0: kicking Um, in socks versus kicking in shoes yeah Yeah.
3: i mean i I learned learned from through trial and error when they were little i'd take a whole sleeping bag to the tree stand with me put them in put them in the bottom of the stand in the sleep bag because they always i'm cold i'm cold here get in the sleep bag you're gonna be warm you're fine and they were because they'd fall asleep and it'd be nice and quiet so if you're hunting with kids bringing up kids the best thing you can do, make them comfortable. As comfortable as you can. Let them play their Xbox or their little Game Boy, whatever. Game's on their phones now. Make them comfortable.
0: You know, on that note, uh, and you told me this, and it has rang true ever since. We had a, at the least we had, we had a, a uh, ground blind that was 150 yards from camp. And uh, you said, I just let him sleep till he wakes up, taking to that ground blind. Every time I've done that, We've killed a deer together. Yeah. <laughs> and <clears throat> we I've killed three deer with him now out of that one ground blind, and I've let him sleep till 7, 30, 7-ish. Normally, he'll sleep till 7, 38 o'clock on a Saturday. When it's hunting season and he's in the hunting camp, he'll wake up mm-hmm. at 6, 45, 7 o'clock, we need to go to the woods. But if I wake him up at 5 a.m., then he's cranky. He doesn't want to sit and stay. Yeah. So you know, I take him out there. When he wakes up on his own schedule, he'll sit a lot longer. Jordan's still that way. Yeah, Shoot. wake him up. <laughs> wake him up. What do you mean, wake him up? You got to push him out of the bed. He no, might I, not I, even wake I, up. I
3: quit I, I quit. I've left him in. Left him sleeping.
0: Jordan's one of those people that has the alarm list that's about that long. Yeah, he doesn't wake <laughs> up to any of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been leaving for work at four thirty though.
1: I've been getting to to Dade City at like five forty
0: five. The alarm start going off about two forty five in the morning. They go off. They start at like three thirty. Yeah, that's what I figured. <laughs>
2: that's tough. What do you do?
1: I'm a estimator for a. I'm a construction estimator for a civil construction company.
2: I got you.
0: All right, Bruce, what do you got? Tip of the week. Tip of the week.
2: I don't have a great one, but I mean, my my stuff would be difficult because I mean, I work in the outdoor industry so i mean i we could go on for a couple days about that but my biggest thing is keeping it fun you know i mean i i work in the outdoor industry and it's become work i I don't devalue it or regret it in any way but you know i want people to keep it fun i mean kind of like daddy over there was saying you know with the kids being comfortable you know, keep it fun. I mean, I, I, see people that are making it too much about business or, you know, too serious and they're, they're losing all the fun. When we first started in business, I'd have guys from, from out of town that were, you know, coming in here, showing pictures of deer that kill that were 110, 115 inches. And you know, they didn't want to show me that picture for a while. You know, I could tell something was wrong and their buddies are like, you know, show, show it to them. Cause they know I'm a stickler about age and, and quality of deer and stuff. I'm like, look, I don't care what you do on your own place, it's nothing to do with me. You've got to have fun. Yeah. You know, when's the last time you killed a buck, you know, George or whatever your name was? It's been five years. i like, that sucks. You yeah. know yeah. <laughs> I mean hunt what you got, you know, I mean have a good time. I mean this is not about status or, you know, whatever, who's got the biggest deer, man. Have a good time. Enjoy your buddies and your family and enjoy planting and feeding and hunting and the old deal. So that that's my tip is take soap. Take some of this seriousness out of it and have a good time. That's what it's
0: supposed to be about, you know. I, that's one to wrap that back around the kids, man. Uh, that that and I've talked to a couple of buddies of mine who have little kids who want to take them hunting, and they're like, "Ah, oh, he just doesn't want to sit still." I was like, "So what?" I I'd take yeah. I would take my son when he was three years old. I had a, at that time two. No, he was two, so I had a lease that was fifteen minutes from my house when I lived in Southeast Georgia. We would go out there. And uh we'd go during muzzle litter season, i take it with him because with me because I it was pr- uh predominantly dog hunting going on around us. But muzzle season is quiet because you can't run dogs during muzzle. Litter. So <clears throat> I take him out there and I might get maybe on a good day fifteen minutes in the deer stand he's ready to get down. Mm-hmm. But he'd get down, oh you want to get down? Okay, we'd get down. We'd wander the woods, we'd walk around, we'd look for deer tracks and they don't want to sit. But you know what? They're eager to learn. There's some days where I don't want to sit.
3: (laughs) Right. I can remember the first time I took you to a deer stand. I hunted my morning hunt, come back to camp, loaded you up on the four-wheeler with your pop gun, and we went out to a ladder stand I had, climbed up that ladder stand. We may have sat there for maybe five minutes, and you said, all right, Dad, I'm ready. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Okay yeah (laughs) let's let's go walk around a little bit
0: yeah yeah when when the kids are real little like that don't take them to the woods to kill a deer take them to the woods to enjoy hunting or fishing or whatever you're going out to do if your kid don't want to sit in one spot for 10 minutes to catch fish all right he likes to ride the boat ride the boat to a different spot 10 minutes absolutely yeah
2: that's exactly what i meant by what i said about a tip you know have fun man this is this is not work this is what we do instead of work right you know, i've mean, <laughs> worked so have, that i can do this right
3: absolutely I with guys, have fun, I with guys just... that have been so serious about it that it just makes me miserable yeah um, yeah. Both. If you, <laughs> yeah if you can't have a good time if you gotta study it that hard god dang go back to work i mean this is yeah uh, relax don't you don't have to put that much effort into it if you you know if you have fun at it have a good time it food plots you know we we tried to do we've done i've always made food plots some and and i've never put that much into it because i didn't didn't have the money and didn't have the the time to to dedicate to it but we always did something and i always told them i said look we got to count on mother nature there's not we don't have an irrigation systems, so you can't irrigate it we got to count on mother nature we'll do the best we can do and and hope for what we can what we got so right
2: Yeah, I mean, I I see that all the time because I I work in the industry, of course, so people think I'm super serious about it because when people ask me questions, I'm giving very serious answers, you know. I mean, I'm not going to tell a customer, you know, screw it, you know, (laughs) go out and do whatever, you know, have a good time because that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for the right right answer. But, But at the same time, I get people to think that I don't believe in the let's have a good time thing, you know, because they think I'm strictly business. You know, when it comes to this, because I'm in the business, but it's just not true. I mean, it, it all boils down to we're hunting for fun, you know. Well,
0: uh, we have, in a form, uh, turned hunting into an industry. Uh, oh, so, yeah. Uh, w- once again, you know, we got rid of market hunting, and then it went back to uh, hunting for food or a sport. And now, with YouTube and uh, everything else, it's, it's kind of turned back into an industry. Uh, where mm-hmm. everybody wants to, you're hunting for the purpose of only killing the monster bugs. And I, I think a lot of people miss out on the the reward that is the food factor of everything.
2: Absolutely that. And I noticed a lot of the guys that are in the industry like with food products like we have, they're starting to advertise more, you know, uh, uh, one 120-inch uh, deer eating some product where it used to be it was going to be a 180 plus. Right. But it's so not realistic. Like the market is starting to realize we need to be placing more realistic things in our ads um, to get to get that separation made to where what's real and what's not. And I, I'm seeing that a lot. I mean, because it it really boils down to one thing. I mean, we're we're, we're killing an animal or killing a deer. I mean, it's not that complicated. And you know,
0: with every other part of you know, every other aspect, you, you have your keyboard warriors out there that'll tell you. Uh, just how good or how bad their opinion is of the deer you shot? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like like you're supposed to give a shit. Yeah, yeah. who freaking cares? <laughs> like, come on now. I, if uh, I killed it, I drug it, I skinned it, I ate it. Who cares what you think?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, that's like I said a minute ago about these guys that used to come in the shop, and you know, there'd be four or five of them, and I can tell something's wrong with one guy. He's not talking. You know, I'm like, what's wrong with you, man? The other guys are like, go on the show, <laughs> and then they pull out the picture of a, you know, whatever, 115 inch deer or something. I mean, like I said a minute ago, I don't want to have to repeat it, but it's like, it that this is for fun, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> you do, and, and it's none of my business or anybody else's. You do what you want to do. This is not about status or what other people think or any of yeah. that. That yeah. that's not that's not where we're at. That's what we do all day for work. Don't do that for fun. <laughs>
0: So I want to I want to point something out before we cut this off that you know we talked a lot about you, you, when you think protein you think antler growth you think all this but but in reality you can feed protein strictly for the health of the entire herd of deer it, because not only do bucks need the protein but so do the does to make milk to feed fawns to raise young and it, without having that good food source readily available to all the deer on your property you're not going to have a healthy herd and a healthy herd of deer is what gives you bigger bucks in the Mm -hmm. long run
2: yeah i mean go back to the kids your your daddy's talking about taking y'all hunting i've thought about my kids we're talking about guys that are shooting deer that they might not be proud of but take all that out and you think about feeding and growing deer this this is all a thing that, that we all enjoy it as hunters and outdoorsmen. So I've got a ton of guys that are that started out hunters and now they're deer growers. They don't care if they hunt or not. I've got right. a customer that's killed a 196, several 170s on this place, free range in Georgia right here. He doesn't care to hunt that much anymore. He likes to grow. And that's all a part of it. You know, you're taking your kids out to fill up feeders. Yep. Or plant food plots. You're showing them why this benefits the wildlife. Then you kill those deer. You know it's time to table. You know you're you're killing them. You're you're processing them. You're eating them. You got a rack on the wall, maybe maybe not. Whatever, but it, it's all part of the process. You know. um I think and, that is and,
0: that's the gradual growth of a white tailed deer hunter.
2: Hmm. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot more to it than let's go kill a let's go kill a big one. I mean that. I mean I don't. I'm done with all that. I mean I love to kill a big deer, but I want to go back to getting back to the basics with with what's valuable and a big old rack. Although we all want one, including myself, that ain't, that ain't where it's at. There's a lot more to it than that.
0: It, it, given the space,
2: That's why and
3: they the call time, it
0: hunting and not killing, right? Yep. Given the space, I mean, I,
2: yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it, it's some of our better hunts are the ones where you don't kill anything. You know, I mean that that cool thing that happened or whatever it was. I mean, it's it's absolutely. all about those memories. I mean. My, my best deer on the wall are not my biggest deer absolutely hands down they're the ones that have a great story with one of my kids or my wife or a buddy or whatever it is you know it, it's not it's not the biggest deer you know oh yeah the I biggest mean, that's deer, where we're all
0: the biggest deer I ever shot at he's not on my wall he's, he's either dead somebody else's wall I don't know I <laughs> <laughs> I took
3: my wife <laughs> hog hunting about three weeks ago first time she's ever killed an animal besides a mockingbird that she shot by accident trying because it was bothering the cat (laughs) (laughs) but but she shot a hog and we were up there in in irwinville and uh, we strictly went shooting hogs because they're having having a problem with them so she shot her first hog first time she ever shot the gun that i bought her four years ago and she killed her first hog so that was pretty
2: cool
0: well, yep. before we let you go, uh, I, I think you're pretty yeah. well known, but I want to have everybody here who doesn't know about 4S uh, Wildlife Solutions, Advanced Wildlife Solutions. How, where where can they find you and get your product?
2: 4 uh, swildlifecom dot you com. Know, we we ship daily, and we've got, uh, I mean, right around a thousand users you know, around the country, um, and and that's it. I mean, it'd be best to, Check the shop. I mean, we, we've got a dealer locator on our website or, or call the office. And we can take care of whatever you need. If you're going
3: well, up high 75, A Adel Outfitter
2: sells it. Yeah. Yep. Adel's a great store. Yeah. Yep.
1: If you're right here in central Florida, there's actually a place in Leesburg <laughs> and a place in Ocala as well that sell it.
2: Really? Who do we have in
1: Leesburg? Oh, my gosh. I'd have to relook it up. I looked at your dealer locator earlier
2: this week. I don't – I mean, our sales guys deal with all the stores. It's kind of funny. Like we'll get an email or I'll get an email or message or whatever. Like somebody wants to know where we have a dealer. And I have to look on our, on our website and do the dealer locator myself <laughs> to see where we
1: have. A- oh, Oh, it's, um, Pat's pawn and gun.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pat's pawn and gun in and Leesburg. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Pat's came to us from uh gym that I was telling you about that lives in, uh, so where? Yeah. Yahalla. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. Is that how you say? It? So Elaha. his yeah, Elaha. So his son-in-law knows that guy, and that's how that's how we. End I'm up sure he ads. hunts
3: up there in Georgia somewhere.
2: Uh, well, yeah, they. I mean, the guy I was talking about they've got yeah, uh, almost five thousand acres right here near my shop, a few miles from my shop.
0: Well, we'll go ahead and link that website down in the podcast description so that you guys don't actually have to go look for it. You can just scroll down a little further when you're listening they have and, a Facebook uh, and Instagram and everything as well. So, yeah. I'll, I'll link all that stuff together and put it down there in the podcast description So you guys can find all that and uh, order you some awesome stuff from 4S. Yeah. yeah. Shoot. Yeah. Start feeding your deer the good stuff. That's right. Well, Bruce, I appreciate you joining us this week. Yeah, well, man.
1: Thank y'all for having me. It's Absolutely. been a lot of fun. Y'all keep in contact with you, Bruce. Yeah, man. Sounds good. Thank you, Bruce. Yes, sir. You have a good good night. night. See you guys.
4: Yes, sir.